I'm not doing all this outsourcing so that I don't work. I love to work. I love what I do. And I wanted just to make sure that I was doing the stuff that mattered most to my personal interests and mattered most to my clients' outcomes. Hey, this is Keith Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 97. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. I'm recording the podcast this morning from a little winery just outside of Shenandoah National Park. Alyssa and I have spent most of our summer up in the Northeast, up in Maine, and got to experience the first parts of fall, which is a little bit late this year. And now we're headed down south because it's getting cold and all the campgrounds pretty much kick you out and tell you that you need to leave. One of the main stops that Alyssa wanted to make on our way south was Shenandoah National Park, a place that we haven't yet been before. And whenever we have more than a couple drive days in a row, we try to do harvest hosts whenever possible. It's where you can stay on wineries and farms, and they're not sponsoring or endorsing this podcast. But at the end of a long drive day, instead of rolling into an RV park, we can roll into a winery or a brewery. And it's awesome, and I love it. It's just a great way to end the day and have really good conversations and meet local people and uh, just, I would say, better ambiance than most of the campgrounds I've experienced. So that's where we're at right now. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Jill Sessa, founder of WPHelp.com. Jill spoke at our RVE Summit last year, and she's coming back again to speak this year. So if you're coming, you'll be able to hear Jill and has a crazy amount of experience in outsourcing while on the road. A few things that we talk about on today's episode is something that Jill calls the multiplier effect, which is Jill's process for hiring on virtual assistants to help her run her business while on the road. We also talk about websites and places you can find low-priced hires and how to properly vet them and bring them onto your team, as well as what are the first tasks that you should actually outsource. And before diving into the deep end of the multiplier effect, Jill shares with me something that has been on her heart lately, which is the kindness of total strangers that she's experienced on the road. So the second half of this interview, we really do a deep dive into outsourcing, how to get started, what you need to know. And the first half is really some of Jill's experiences while she's been out on the road and some of the kindness of people that have just come out of the woodwork to help her whenever she's faced troubles, which is always a good message to hear in today's day and age. All right, let's get into today's show with Jill Sessa. Jill, what's up? Thanks for being on the podcast with me again. Thanks so much for having me back. I love it. Last time we hung out, we were sitting at, at lunch right after the RV Entrepreneur Summit in Fredericksburg. I forget the name of the little restaurant. Do you remember what it was? Oh, I don't. I just remember um, those tornado fries. I think it's called Jenny's. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think it may be Jenny's. We need to and fact check this. ridiculous tornado fries. Oh, those things are amazing. Yes. That's why we need to go back to Fredericksburg. Well, we are. And you're coming back to speak at our next summit, which I'm excited about. And uh, first of all, congrats on crossing a big goal, finishing all 50 states. Thank you. Yeah, it was so fun. I think like most people who do the 50 states, for me, the 50th was North Dakota. Um, I No offense to North Dakota. It ends up to be a strikingly beautiful place, but it's just one of those, it doesn't have a, a huge draw, right? So uh, the Fargo Visitor Center actually makes a huge deal of it and they call it the best for last club. That's hilarious. So, <laughs> once I found out about it, I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. And I actually have a client that lives in North Dakota and we've talked about it before, but I, I try to make connections with my clients in person as I travel. So I was looking forward to meeting her and I went up to Fargo and then down to where she lives. 
but they give you a certificate and a patch of completion and a t-shirt and take your photo. It was really fun. That is awesome. And you know what I find interesting is that, I mean, you're a resident of South Dakota, so it seems striking that it took you so long to get up to North Dakota. Oh, Keith, why don't you shame me just a little bit more <laughs> about that? Um, I had actually been within 20 miles of the border and just had never crossed. So, uh, And I have been to South Dakota six times, so it's not as if I hadn't been, <laughs> hadn't had the opportunity, but... Yeah. So, but it's cool. And for those who know the reference, um, yes, they do have a wood chipper. Can't give you a hard time about visiting North Dakota. That was one of the only states during hourly America that we actually didn't even stay the night in. I worked a job (gasps) in Fargo for the day at this place called Worst Beer Hall, W-U-R-S-T Beer Hall in Fargo, which is a really cool bar, German bar there. And uh, yeah, we just kept going. We didn't even stay the night in North Dakota. I'm pretty sure that that breaks the rules of 50 states, doesn't it? No, I, I think if you admit it and embrace it, that you just kept going, <laughs> that it's okay. Like and, our, and let's face it, actually earning a you know paycheck there probably also qualifies you. So, so yeah, our friends just did the Trans-Siberian Railway, I think is what it's called in Russia. And they, they stepped foot for two minutes in North Korea. And uh, they're trying to do, I think, 100 countries by 2019 or something like that. And he was saying, yeah, I don't think we're going to count it because we were there for two minutes. I was like, I think the amount of time that you need to fully experience a place, it should be equal to that amount of time. So if it's an amazing country, you need to spend months there and that's like qualifies or whatever. And uh, North Korea, I feel, is one of those think places we could all just say like two minutes is probably adequate. You probably well, let's need- face it right now as an American, it's illegal to be there. So two minutes is more than most people are going to get. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're going to give them that. I totally tell them to check that box. I agree. So <laughs> I saw you in February. So other than crossing off 50th state and hanging out with all the North Dakotans, what has been the theme of your life and business and travel since then? I would say that the theme of my life for going on 45 years, but kindness and really looking for it, embracing it and being open to it. And I I'm always needing kindness because I do drive a 44-year-old RV, so that's always needing my road angels. But just in general, of if I open my heart to kind of an expectation of kindness by, by myself giving it, I'm just finding it coming back to me in more and more ways. And I've been traveling through areas that would be considered maybe more conservative, kind of on this national political spectrum that's become very divisive. And instead of setting that up in my mind, it's like, maybe these are people that are different than me, just going in and treating every person as a singular being and not a label or an expectation. And the kindness just keeps pouring out in so many ways. This year, all across the United States, we got to celebrate the eclipse and witness two minutes of still what I consider to be gobsmacking awe. (laughs) I I'm still blown away when I allow myself to even think about it. I get choked up. So I'm going to kind of bypass it a little bit so you don't hear me cry on this. But even in that experience of just being in sort of a small town, we chose to go to Stanley, Idaho. And by we, I mean, a group of friends had kind of discussed this months, maybe eight months prior, and then all converged and that group grew and grew. But just the kindness that it was extended to us in so many ways and in this one very specific way that one day we were all sitting working because most of us are, are working nomads and we hear a diesel truck come down this forest service road that we had chosen 
to stay at in this really kind of remote area that people didn't know about this road. And people were surprised, like neighbors were surprised when they found us there because so few people knew about it. And this diesel truck was coming down the road and one by one, we kind of poke our heads out because we felt like they were invaders or something to our <laughs> gathering, right? And it was the UPS truck. <laughs> and the UPS driver gets out and she goes, hey, you Jill? And I looked at her, I was like, yes. And she's like, oh, I finally found you. I've been going everywhere looking for you guys. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, it was just, you know, and anybody listening to this that lives on the road and knows the issue of getting packages, we had all talked about how getting to Stanley, they have a small post office. How awesome was this going to be? So like everything I needed to order for like the last six months basically was coming into Stanley. Well, this UPS driver literally searched for four hours up and down every forest service road because she was told that this group of people was down a forest service road and came and delivered the package as if it was no big deal. And to me, what a kindness she had extended, right? Like, you know, she took such effort. And so she became our best friend. And over the course of 16 days, she delivered packages 10 different days. <laughs> so that's my story. That's my life this year. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. I mean, you can just a lot of times, don't they just drop the packages off at the post office and you just yeah, get an alert in your email that says, hey, your package is at the post office. And that was completely the expectation, right? And especially now, there's all sorts of tricks that you can use to make sure it does get delivered to the post office instead of return to sender. And that trick, by the way, in case anybody needs to know it, is by calling it P.O. Box General Delivery in your mailing address when you put it in Amazon. Mm. So if you put P.O. Box General Delivery, the P.O. Box triggers that it's supposed to get sent by the Postal Service. But now they have this deal with UPS where now the post office does accept UPS packages. So... Again, this whole group of nomads, we know all of these tricks now, right? So that was sort of our expectation is that, you know, once every other day, whatever, somebody would go in with their SUV and pick up everybody's packages. And instead, we had this rock star. Her name, by the way, was Marnie. She was amazing. Yeah, but could you imagine? So there are all these drone pictures of the UPS truck arriving at our gathering. It was one of those, like, kind of this convergence of somebody just going out of her way. She thought she was just doing her job, but we all know that that is way above and beyond the expectation mm -hmm. of that. Job. And this, this gathering of friends. So it ended up, you know, what turned to six people initially thinking of meeting ended up to be, uh, I think at one point it was 26 or 32 people. And then the UPS truck became <laughs> this funny little interlude that every time she would arrive. So we were like getting her presents and chocolate and cookies and stuff just because we were just so gobsmacked that she would do it. I love that. I mean, first of all, it says a lot for Marnie. Marnie's awesome. But it also I think it just kind of speaks to we're so used to people delivering the status quo and work and anything that it's like whenever somebody does take this extra step for doing something they didn't have to do, it's surprises us so much and kind of slaps us in the face with kindness because it's just totally unexpected. Like, and people just, you know, we just don't get that. In some ways, I wish that was more the norm that it didn't feel like it was so out of, out of the spectrum of possibility, but it, it like, you're right. It's just, we're expecting a bar, you know, so everything set at a certain level. And when somebody exceeds it, and in this case exceeded it so greatly, in our minds, for the average person, they might not understand this story, but for people who understand the logistics of getting mail on the road, this was 
absolutely amazing. So new bar for all delivering packages <laughs> on the road. Just being able to yeah. say Forest Service Road three five four. Look for the old RV. That's me. Yeah, that's what she did, and uh, it was amazing. So I want to get into talking about outsourcing, which is kind of the topic of today's conversation, but a couple more notes on the kindness element, just because I'm really interested in this whole element, because we've had so many people on the road who have done very similar things for us. Like our first year on the road, our fridge went out and it was the only campground we'd ever been to that actually had a mobile mechanic living on site who had actually went to an RV mechanic school. It was a trade school. Exactly. And he helped us remove our fridge and it was like three, four hours and he wouldn't accept any money. And it was just, we received those random acts of kindness on the road too, as I'm sure so many other RVers have. But what is it that has happened for you, I guess, even internally that has made you want to like think about it and talk about it so much? Because we were talking, going back and forth in email, talking about like what you're going to talk about at next year's summit. And you said, I want to host a workshop on outsourcing but I also want to just talk about this overall theme of kindness and the amount of people that I've met on the road. So what is it that has made you just want to start sharing and talking about the kindness versus just receiving it? Absolutely. So if I can just step back, your listeners maybe have heard previous interviews we've done, but let me just start with that. I came from New York City. You know, when I when I went onto the road, I was coming out of New York City and it was right at the time of the last election, not this a year ago, but five years ago. And there was just so much negativity and real vitriol that people were treating one another like labels, right? So if somebody kind of declared some sort of a value system, then this broad brush was being painted and it's been magnified so greatly by social media. And so I come from, you know, Northeast, uh, definitely more kind of liberal and, but there's also a bias like coming from New York City of like, oh, you have everything you could possibly ever want right at your fingertips, you know, within 18 miles. And as I started getting out and exploring more and obviously now doing all 50 states, but just getting into smaller towns and a lot more time in the West, it was realizing that all of these people with different value systems than mine were still individual human beings. And it was just opening my eyes more and more and more that if we treat one another with kindness, you get it back tenfold every single time. I, you know, it's, it's proven over and over and over again. And when people get caught up in deciding, again, to paint somebody with this broad brush, they never look at them as an individual. And as I've done that more and more, I realize my heart has softened my ability to experience places and towns has just grown because I've put down some of my barriers, you know, sort of this natural reaction to people. And I've been able to drop that back. And I use a funny term that I say my eyeballs have stretched. You know, it's it's enabled me not just to physically see bigger spaces, but in so many ways to look at things on a, when you look at things on that bigger picture, but then really zero down that, that one individual is not made up of these, you know, again, these labels that they have. And it comes from, you know, decades of my own bias that these are the way things are supposed to be, or because I've lived in such a melting pot, I must be, you know, so open to all of this. Well, I realized I wasn't. And as I've just met more and more people, and again, yeah, the road angels and the kindness, 
it's just, I felt like my, my heart has broadened. My entire being has softened. I think that it has reverse aged me. I know that that may sound weird, <laughs> but you know, there's physical evidence of this. If you look at pictures of me from, from 10 years ago and pictures of me now, I look like I'm the same age or younger. And part of that is just by not living with so much tension and the walls that we put up and just kind of those natural barriers, that tension, you know, it pinches your face, right? You know, it hardens mm-hmm. you in those ways. And just by, by opening myself up to all of that, I can't imagine, first of all, not doing the traveling thing anymore, because I think part of it has, I've become addicted to those new experiences, to looking for the kindness for for looking at people as individuals. I really have, like, I love meeting new people now in ways that I never thought possible. So part of it is just that I want people to understand that if they shut off, you know, even like the media all the time, all of these things that are being told to them about people, right? They're, they're being told, this is the way you should think about that set of people. Instead, if you go and meet that one person and treat them with an open heart, you're, you're going to find so much more out about them than if you just paint them with this broad brush. The more and more we do that and treat each other as individuals and not as all those labels, I just think that kindness is the kind of thing that's saving the world, right? As it's, it's peace, it wraps up in all of those kinds of uh, things like the golden rule, treat others like you want to be treated. If you do that as an individual in every interaction that you have, then you're having that impact on that person possibly doing it in their interactions. And as nomads, we get to spread that right all over the place. <laughs> you know, it's, you can have an impact in your own community, but imagine having that kind of an impact all over the place. I love all of that. It's like there's these bias that are easily created, like you said, uh, from watching the news and the media and social media. But each new time you meet somebody who fits that mold of that person that you're not supposed to like or 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 not that you're not supposed to like, but that you don't for whatever reason, for whatever has been fed into you. And then you meet that person and realize how amazing they are and how mm-hmm. much you have in common. And and then each new time you do that, it's like peeling back a layer and opening up your eyes. Uh, I found that out too when we first started hitting the road. And not just from not just from people of different ages or races or anything like that. It just, it could have just been like a stereotype of a person like, Oh, that guy looks like a jock guy or, or whatever. And then you mm-hmm. meet it and then you're like, Oh man, this is a really amazing person. And it was almost like each time I mentally place somebody in one of those boxes, for some reason they got placed in front of me and I got to know them. And each time I did that, I was like, Oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I love it. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And it's, you know, and allowing them to break out of that box, right? It, it gives you this opportunity to see that we need a panoply of people in this world, right? To fill all of the various niches that we need filled, you know, whether it's tasks that are required in our lives or um, assistance that's needed, all of those kind of things. We need various and different people in order to do that. Otherwise, we couldn't get everything done in this world that we need. Absolutely. Think about that. Yeah. So that's what part of, you know, as as you allow that, then it opens you up to having so much more granted to you in your life. Think about that. If somebody fills a niche that it's something that you need, it could be for me, obviously great mechanics, right? But it could be, you know, uh, food that I need to eat on the road, or it could be something that I need done for my business. That niche might be filled by somebody that has the quote unquote beliefs that are against yours in your mind, right? In this broad picture that, that on this broad brush that you paint. 
So instead, if you treat them as an individual, they might be able to bring something to your life that's exactly what you need. I think yeah. it's just awesome. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And it's really one of the single best things in my mind of travel, like one of the best benefits of travel, because I agree. the more you stay closed up, the more you stay in your world, in your zone, uh, the more those, I think, beliefs are hardened and, mm-hmm. and set. And then uh, the more you get out and travel and experience firsthand, the more that those beliefs are, you realize that they're nothing and that they've just been placed there and they're not even real. Uh, they're just a perception. So, so nomads get to be sort of an army of this, <laughs> you know, extending out these kindnesses and changing people's perceptions. Yay. I love it. Well, let's get into more of the business and outsourcing part of Jill Sessa's knowledge, because I know you have a lot of it. And you talked a little bit about this at our summit this past year. And I know that uh, this is something you've been doing in a while in your WordPress support business. So can you talk a little bit about uh, if, if just a real quick overview for those of people who haven't heard you on a recent episode real quick? What is your business and how have you leveraged outsourcing to grow that? Sure. So uh, my business is Ultimate WP Help, and we are a WordPress support and maintenance service. So anybody that has a website that needs assistance, whether adding functionality or just simply keeping the site safe, we take care of that for them. So how I use outsourcing in that, I call it the multiplier effect. We don't take on any project that I am not technically capable of handling, right? So I might not take on huge, massive database projects or something like that, because that's not my specialty. But for the most part, a lot of WordPress tasks run along similar veins. So if I'm capable of doing it, we'll take that site on. But I shouldn't need to spend my time doing all of those tasks over and over and over again. There are people in this world who they want that to be their job, to do that task over and over and over again. So outsourcing has allowed me to take myself and multiply myself. So when I have a task that needs to be done, I make sure to document it. If it's a task that needs to be done once and once only, I'll do it and just get it done. If it's a task that I'm doing it for the second time, I record it. If it's a task I'm doing for the third time, I document the entire process because that means that somebody else can then do that task for me. And what does that documenting process look like? Do you do a screen flow of that? Do you write it down in steps? Do you do both? Both. So again, the second time I'll just record it. So I happen to use um, Snagit, but Camtasia, ScreenFlow, QuickTime has a recording you know, process, whatever you need to do to be able to record your screen. I just throw it on. So it's the most used program on my <laughs> laptop for sure. So that way... I'm just recording the steps and sometimes I'll even just turn off the audio. Like I, I just turn off the mic and it's just a matter of following what steps I'm doing, following my mouse. You know, if I know I'm recording it to show it to somebody, I might, you know, use the mouse to circle something a couple of times just so that they see this is where I'm going with it. Again, these are online tasks, right? These are WordPress. So just seeing my process, seeing how I accomplish something. So then if I need to do it a third time, it's going to mean I need to do it a fourth, fifth, and sixth time, right? So that third time then is making that recording more concise, making it, you know, this boom, 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 these are the steps, maybe describing certain parts of it in a little bit more detail, and then making a task document, like this is the website URL, this is the task that needs to be done, Uh, this is the program or the app or the plugin that we're using on that in order to accomplish it. This is why. This is where you purchase it. This is where the support is for that plugin. 
and then here's the task. So all of the, the information that anybody else would need in order to do what I do needs to go into that document. And then in our case, we're servicing a, a huge variety of clients. And so those are all folders in both Dropbox and Google Drive. And I can talk a little bit about why for that. So they have a folder that's their tasks. They have a folder that's tutorials. And so that then gets filed there. So anybody who has my last pass, another important aspect of this kind of outsourcing is password management. So anybody that has access to that document and access to that client's website or whatever programs are needed, all of that information then is housed there for them. So yeah. basically it's taking your brain, you know, whatever you're doing, the talent that you have and making sure that you break it down in small enough steps that somebody could recreate exactly what you've done. And we're really not talking about growing a company with a lot of employees. We're not talking about employees who are doing different jobs. We're talking about literally just multiplying Jill Sessa because these are tasks that she's already done and this allows your time to be freed up. So when you're talking about WordPress support, just so I can kind of have an idea of, you know, like what is an example of, you know, one of the first tasks that you outsource that you're like, you know what, I'm doing this over and over again. Somebody else can do this just as well. Cause I feel like that is one of the things where people may not even know or recognize that they're doing something that can be outsourced. So for you, what was that task? First of all, the number one thing one needs to do in any of this is drop your ego. So I have to realize that, yes, I am fabulous at doing this. Okay, it's it, it is in my genius, but I'm not the only one that can do 100% of what I do. Okay, so that's number one step in any of these things is dropping your ego that you're the only one that has the capability of doing it. Number two is, again, this recognition of if you've done it a third time, or even the second time, it means you're going to do it again and again. So an example on a on a WordPress website might be building a form or editing a form. So we happen to use gravity forms. So these form builders can be used as contact forms. They can be used as registration forms. They can take payment. They can run people through a personality quiz. There's many, many ways these forms can be used. Building the form might use conditional logic. So if somebody answers this, then they answer that. That can get a little bit complicated and hairy, but all you have to really think about is like a mind map or a decision tree. So building out those forms, putting in the questions, choosing the conditional logic, setting it up to take payment. I have one client who we've built over a hundred of these forms for her in two years, a hundred forms. Could you imagine me spending the hour it takes to build these forms a hundred times? You know, that's just, yeah. it's not, it's not cost effective. It's not time effective when it's almost the same process each time. Form builder is an exact example, putting up a blog post they're not writing the content. I'm not writing the content. The content's being provided to us. We don't, we are not content creators. We are implementers. So in a blog post, we try to create a formula for our clients. So we look at if they've already had blog posts up, we look at, okay, this is how you do it. You write an article, you have a video that goes with it. You have an image that goes with it. Here's your H1s, here's your H2s. By that, I mean header one, header two. These are important SEO components. So most of them, that if we're involved in putting up their blog posts, we get them to actually fill out a template. So this is where you can house the, the content. You know, Maybe it's a different document, but this is the H1, this is the H2, this is the subject line, this is the image that's going with it. 
So I don't need to copy and paste that into their blog post for them, right? That, mm. That's, again, not a good use of my time. That's a great use of an assistant's time. But where I come into play is an intellectual understanding of being able to read the blog post and does it make sense. I don't have that expectation of an assistant, right? I mean, they might not know the subject matter, all of those kinds of things. So I might do a first review of it and say, oh, okay, this is good to go, and then pop it over as an assistant task. But once you can get people to understand, now we've looked at almost two layers of outsourcing, right? We've got the content creator, the person who wrote the blog post, passing it on to me, then I'm passing it on to my assistant. Does that make sense? Like they're outsourcing, putting up that blog post. Right. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. Okay. And that's helpful context. So you talk to me about where you have found these people that you have brought in as assistants or sure. out, is that what you call them assistants? You call them, I out. call them assistants okay. because I just think that, you know, that's, that's the relationship that we have. Right. So using the term outsourcer to me, I'm outsourcing that, that job. Yes. But the calling them an outsourcer feels in my mind, some way disrespectful, hmm. you know, because it's like, well, yeah, I'm outsourcing the work, but they're, you know, an executive assistant or they're an assistant or they're a developer. I happen to be outsourcing that work to that developer. They're still a developer, <laughs> right? So, right? So I initially started and still do occasionally find on a website called onlinejobs.ph and that PH stands for Philippines. And so the Philippines... India and the Ukraine have specifically have been places where you can find outsourced helpers at that had the technical skills. And I find that those three countries have three different strengths. So we'll talk about that. And then also at a rate that makes sense, because that's the other component to this. I can't pay somebody the rate that I'm making and make a living. Right. right? You know, just that, that's that's kind of the whole point of this is that I need to be at a higher level. So I take in, you know, an income that pays for my life, but also enables me to pay for somebody else's life. So the cost of living in these three countries is so drastically lower than here that their salary rates are drastically lower than here in the United States. Now, I've had intellectual and ethical discussions with people about this, and I will stand firm that by me being able to outsource jobs to the Philippines, I'm getting consistently excellent workers and I'm getting them at a rate that I can afford. And I'm paying a rate that's higher actually than the average cost of living there. So I'm increasing their standard of living by me employing them. There are some people that don't feel that we should be outsourcing work outside of the United States. I get all of these arguments, but I know that for the people who work for me, I'm increasing their standard of living, not just for them, but for their families. And I've told stories about this before, which people can connect into some of those other episodes to hear about. So Online Jobs PH enables me to communicate with them in a platform that they don't yet have access to my direct contact information, right? Because I might go through, you know, 15 applications in order to find somebody. I don't want those people harassing me. You know, it's it could happen. But they also have an entire system. If you wanted to tap into it, they have an entire system that you can even track and pay your employees through their system. So it could be a full, complete 
um, technological solution for you. We happen to not use that part of it. But then the next step is once I find a couple of great employees, I ask them for references. And here's an interesting thing is that once you've got a really good working relationship with somebody, especially I found this in the Philippines, I haven't tested it as much with India, but I also have tested this in Ukraine and I found the the highest um, uh, incidence of this in the Philippines. They take such a tremendous pride in their work. Like they're really, really, really uh, highly motivated by their work that when you ask them for a reference, you actually won't get somebody within a day or two, they won't give you a name. You might not get an answer for them for 10 days, 14 days or longer. And it's because they're basically pre-vetting all of the people for you. Wow. You know, I've never had a recommendation from one of my staff members that was somebody that fell flat on their face as soon as they started working for me. You know, they, they really managed to find pretty high quality people because they have such, you know, high regard for the working relationship. And how many people have you hired through this site? Online jobs, over time, I've hired uh, probably a dozen people. My staff tends to stay with me really. Like I have one staff member who's now on her eighth year. Wow. And how many do you have on staff at a time? Uh, it really depends. So I call it turning on the tap. I have times of work that I'll take on a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of projects. And then I have other times where I slow down. So at a minimum, we have three people on staff because that's what keeps just the general flow going. But when I take on more projects, I might go up to six, seven, or eight people at a time. And have you ever brought on people outside of your assistance to help you with more of the creative working on the business versus in the business? Or is it always just, I have tasks that need to get done and my time can be better spent doing other things, so I'm going to hire out assistants? Or has there been other people that you said, I'm going to bring you on at a higher price point because I think there's other processes and new things that haven't been done that you can add to my business? Heath, were you reading my mind? (laughs) (laughs) So I have actually brought on people based in the United States. And what they do is look at my flow documents. They look at how I run my business, Uh, being able to read through step by step by step. And here, you're missing something here. I need another video from you here. I need this here, you know, and really looking at that. One of the aspects that I'm very open about in in how I run my business is that I am not a great communicator in the sense of I don't actually advertise for clients and so I don't do email marketing and then I do a really poor job of communicating with our clients in those kind of mass emails. I communicate with them one-on-one, but I don't do a lot of mass emails. So um, last year I brought somebody on who that was her job is to say to me, hey, WordPress Wednesday needs to go out. You know, let's mm-hmm. write it. And so um, those are that kind of higher level. They need to be thinking analytically about our process, not me just telling them this is what you do, A, B, and C. But actually that's what you're saying, working on the business, not in the business, working on it and saying, oh, you need to do this or look at this or look at this financial process that you've got going on here it's it's important for to have an outside maybe some in those cases they're not people that actually could do the wordpress tasks mm-hmm. that's not their job their job is to look at how am i communicating that you know how does that make sense and it helps that they actually don't know what those tasks are because if it doesn't make sense to them then it's not going to make sense to you know to the person who needs it so that would be a place for me in this next year. My um, 2018 is going to look very different than any previous year has looked. So I'm slowing down drastically in travel 
and spending months at a time in place. And it's, and it's because I want to make sure that that aspect of my business is a lot more solidified. So that's an area that I'm personally taking on to work on is that greater level of communication and the kind of stabilization of the business from the outside level. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, we've kind of dabbled a little bit in, I wouldn't even call it outsourcing now that we're having this conversation because Alyssa and I have never really, I, I guess we have to some extent, we hired someone to help us with our Facebook group, just admitting people in because it was like, I was looking at Alyssa while we were driving one day and I was like, we're getting, you know, 50 requests a day to join this group. And you're just sitting there going through all of these one by one. I was like, you could be doing video editing that pays, you know, like right. really good per hour. That. Like, <laughs> like your, your time is not like, this is anybody, anybody can do this. And there's lots of people in our group who would love to do this for a little bit of money because it's an easy, what Alyssa calls a Netflix job. Like it's not crazy hard. It's just a little bit of time. So if you're looking for some extra cash, it's not bad. So I guess we have done little things like that that have been really really helpful and then you do them and you're like oh my gosh I just freed up so much time why Mm -hmm. did I not do this a long time ago but I guess for us we've been kind of doing a little bit different where we brought on uh, Kelsey who's my podcast editor almost Kelsey shout out to Kelsey yeah shout out to Kelsey she's (laughs) awesome and we brought her on almost a year ago now and you know she was going to get her MBA so she's got a higher level of you know business knowledge than probably somebody who might just bring on for a specific task and so we started with just podcast editing and then it's morphed into other projects, you know, working, working on editing copy for, you know, a big client that we have that we do content uh, for them and putting a team together and putting processes into place. And so really more of a team member that is, you know, invested in the business versus just hiring out for a specific task, which I guess you would still call a form of outsourcing, but it's really bringing on a level of a team member, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But even you're you're thinking about it in the same way. You were looking at some areas where either you didn't have the time to spin up additional, you know, like with your podcast, your important thing is to do these interviews. There's right. a lot that goes at like an hour here. People, I hope people understand that it's actually 20 hours to put out an episode. It's not the hour of the interview. It's all of the other stuff that goes into it. So that is in some ways the multiplier effect, but it is also just bringing on a staff member that's going to do that. However, thinking about any time you bring on a staff member, how you're doing it, and if Kelsey wasn't the one doing it, could somebody else do it? And do you have the documentation and processes in place or even asking her to create them? Hmm. And always thinking about like, is there basically a handbook for your business that you can pass off? And spending a little bit of time in the documentation process, and even it's just, again, throwing on the screen recorder while you're doing all of those things, if you have enough RAM on your computer, because video editing obviously takes a lot. But if, you know, throwing up the screen recorder and saying, okay, this is what happened, part of her job can then even be putting that documentation into place. When you do that and enables you to bring on a second Kelsey as you need it, (laughs) right? So it's not like something... In my case of I have 200 websites that I'm managing and I've got one person, it could be that you have 20 podcasts that you're managing and maybe you need a second person. Or maybe that is your next revenue stream is that you can now have other other people that can manage other people's podcasts. Yeah. If you document that whole process you know, and get it really solid, it first of all makes Kelsey's job or the next person's job clear, right? You look at any holes that you have makes it super clear, but enables you maybe to, again, have a, another revenue stream. And and I will say that working with another team member has improved 
my personal process, even though it's taken time because somebody else comes in like Kelsey, who, you know, is not just doing the specific task, but she's adding value to the whole Mm -hmm. experience by her saying, hey, Heath, you know, I'm having to spend time looking for photos after each of these interviews. Like, can you just ask people to shoot over a photo beforehand? And so, like, whenever we've, you know, started implementing that, she's like, oh, my gosh, it saves me so much time. So it, it really helps add value to everything because you get into this modular thinking of doing it one way and somebody can else can come in and just cut the hours down significantly. So exactly. So, you know, it's the same thing of me having somebody to look at my entire process and see where those gaps are. Here's another thing, whatever level that other person is at, whether, you know, assistant level kind of task repeater or this, this more technical or analytical thinker, you're treating them like a human. That's important to how your business runs. And that's another really important aspect of the multiplier effect. Why have I had employees for seven years? It's because I treat them like humans and I don't treat them like robots. And you give them that level of respect, they're going to come back to you by wanting to add, you know, they take a level of ownership in your business. And so they want to then add more and more value to it. So it's not just this repetitive thing. But you want to make sure that in that, you know, because I am such an analytically minded person, I tend to like just shoot off an email. Here's the task. I then have to go back and write hi, so and so at the top of every email Hmm. because I'll forget to do that. But as I do that more and more and make sure that they know that I think of them as a human and not a robot, it also adds value to my business to do that. So that's another aspect of all of this is that, yes, there's a lot that you can automate. That's very important and it saves you a lot of time. But make sure that you're also treating that person as an important, you know, intellectually capable human and you'll get a lot better benefit out of it. No, I I love that. How do you make sure that you because part of the process is to create more time for you. Mm-hmm. And so you're not doing all of these other tasks that other people can help you with. How do you make sure that you don't end up spending more time managing people than you did doing the original task? So for, for me, that looks like forms and flow. So we have, um, our clients actually put in what we call a help request and it's a form that they fill out. And so it gives me a very quick, easy place to look at that task and then just say, yep, assign this to so-and-so, or this is closed, write the quick note. That's all done by, by the way, by text expander. There's a note that finishes off everything that I have like just three drop-ins in that note that needs to be completed. So boom, click my text expander, change those three things, click send. So I invested the time in creating those processes. And interestingly enough, I've been asked just in this last month to create a similar system on three different websites for their style of business because they realized, hey, every time I fill out one of these forms and get an answer, this is quick and easy. So the client feels like it was better value and I've hardly spent any time on it. And that's because like that form gets completed, just like you're saying that Kelsey said, Hey, I need an image of that person. That would be on my intake form. Here's the like, click, choose file, upload your photo. Right. So we looked at all the questions we were asking people. The more and more I did that looked at where the places that I'm spending time in the after process. Could I have asked that question at the beginning and fed up the process? So the management component of it is my job. Right. So that's I'm the, the task wrangler. But I definitely want to make sure I'm not spending a lot of time on that. But I'll touch base on the tasks. You know, every day I look at that list and say, OK, what's in progress? What who needs me? 
there's an actual category of review needed. And that's Jill, look at this. You know, and so when somebody changes something to review needed, I get an email notification letting me know that. And then I go back and look at that form and look at what's happening there. So I happen to have built my business in a way that I'm still pretty involved. I'm not doing all this outsourcing so that I don't work. I love to work. I love what I do. And I wanted just to make sure that I was doing the stuff that mattered most to my personal interests and mattered most to my clients' outcomes, the needs that they had. So I'm not building any of this out. You know, you'll see like a lot of kind of courses and stuff on outsourcing that basically is like hands off. You know, we, we all go to the certain person that says the four hour work week. Um, it's not true. He does not work four hours a week, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, and I didn't want to work four hours a week. I really like my work. I have passion about it, which I think is super important. And so it's not like I'm putting any of these processes in place so that I never touch it. So that's, you know, to understand, but I do want to make sure that I'm going out and exploring and meeting new people and, and all of those kinds of things. So every time I look at a bottleneck, I want to make sure then how can I, you know, smooth out that process. I just took a break in my business. I didn't make this very public, but I actually took almost a month, actually five weeks off and I needed to touch base slightly, but I, there was a sign our clients knew like your, your requests are not going to get taken care of. If there's an emergency, let us know. I had processes in place for urgent tasks, Mm -hmm. but it really enabled me to see, to like take a step back, which we also need to do when we're so involved in this day to day. And by taking a step back, I looked, re-looked at all those processes and said, okay, what needs to be better here? What questions can I be asking here? What clients are we not serving well because we're not a good fit? That's another component in this. So I looked at all of that, and now I'm spending the next six weeks restructuring some aspects of our business to better fit. And that was a gift to myself, but that's also a gift to my clients to take that that broader lens, right? Taking that step back allows me to look at it again. I love it. Last question, Jill, for you is, and you've kind of just answered this, But what does success look like for you in outsourcing and how does that mesh with your travels and everything else? Like what has been the biggest benefit to you doing this? So outsourcing to me, the biggest benefit is that I get to impact people's lives, my clients' lives and my staff's lives by being the conduit for that work, right? So because I've built a business that people know, know, like, and trust, I get a constant flow of clients and business, and that means that I'm able to give work to other people that need it. And I, like that, that drives me. That's something that really excites me, that by building what I've built, other people are able to build better lives. So the fact that I don't work 15 hours a day anymore, instead I try to work 15 hours a week, there might be weeks that I work 30 because I've chosen to do that, that's like... I wake up every day and pinch myself that that exists as a possibility in this world. The travel aspect, there's a balance there. I, as I said, I'm going into a year where I have just chosen that I'm not going to be moving as much. Part of that is that working so much online, I want to meet people in person. So I, I'm publicly announcing this now that over the next two years, we're going to be building pro, six pro bono websites that will be for small community organizations in the places that I choose to settle for more than a month. So having that choice 
having that as an opportunity that I can go into different communities and be able to give assistance to an organization that matters to that community, maybe not on this huge grand scale, but it matters to that community. And that I've built this entire structure in my business that I can go in and offer that to them, but also get the, for me, the ability to meet people in person and engage with them in person. That's success, that I can make that choice and kind of make a little bit of a pivot, but use all of the skill set that I've built up and, you know, apply it to something that I'm really passionate about, like not-for-profit organizations making an impact on, you know, kids. For me, it's kids and using um, fitness and art in kids' lives. So that's success, that I have put all of this into place that I can now spin it up as I need to and mm -hmm. want to and in places all over that are really super cool. I love it. And... I know that you have been also putting together a course on outsourcing. So if people want to learn more about that, they can go to ultimatewphelp.com slash multiple, right? Multiply. Multiply. M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y. So there, um, if, if sign up for your interest and we'll let you know when the course is being released. And in this course, you'll learn the the actual technical aspects, some of the things that I've talked about today, how I use Snagit, for instance, how I use the interview process to find the right fit for people, and then how the documentation process, the different tools that you can use, but then also some of these soft skills, some of the, the ways that you need to communicate with your outsourcers to make sure that they completely understand, especially if you're using people in countries other than your own. I love it. Thank you so much, Jill, for being on the podcast. Keith, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. See you in Fredericksburg. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with Jill. I love having conversations with her. And every time we do, it just, it can't be, you know, five, 10 minutes. It always ends up being a really long conversation. So if you're coming to our RVE Summit in February, you'll get to meet Jill and hang out with her. Last time I looked, we have three tickets left. And that's not just me blowing smoke. We really only have three tickets left at the time of me saying this. So if you still are interested in coming to our next RV Entrepreneur Summit in February, we only have a few tickets left and you can snag those and look forward to seeing you in February. I'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.